CLS is the weighing machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market clamor to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. CLS is the weighing machine is inspired by two ideas. The first is the classic investing truism attributed to Benjamin Graham, that the stock market is a voting machine in the short run and a weighing machine in the long run. In other words, emotion drives short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations drive returns over time. The second idea is CLS's investment methodology of risk budgeting. Represented by the scales, risk budgeting measures and manages risk to suit the needs of each investor. Welcome to CLS's The Weighing Machine. We hope you enjoy it. And as always, please let us know what you think. On the podcast today, we'll dissect market volatility and the yield curve inversion, and we'll examine what that really means for investors. We'll also discuss the high-yield market and how to stay calm and invested with our guest, Senior Portfolio Manager here at CLS and Chief Investment Strategist, Mark Pfeffer. Plus, we have two interviews today. First, we will talk to Dean Cook, the CEO of FTJ Fund Choice. Given some of our big news here at CLS Investments, it seemed appropriate to have Dean on to kind of explain what some of this means. Also, we're talking to the head of human resources at North Star Financial, Julie Lane. Welcome to CLS's The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, first, as we always do, let's take a look back at the markets. How are we shaping up as we close out 2018? Well, I think the last time we were talking, I may have been rooting for a Santa Claus rally. We're not getting it yet. And I was also talking about how this could be one of the worst years for uh, the, the overall global financial markets, stocks, bonds, U.S., international, but we were getting a little bit of a rally two weeks ago. Well, it's not been a great two weeks. And at this point, we're, we're back to where we could have one of the worst years for uh, the financial markets, not necessarily in terms of this, the size of the losses, but just the fact that virtually everything is down. There's so many different reasons for it. And of course, Mark's going to be on here to explain some of the biggest reasons, but there's interest rates, Federal Reserve, how it ties into the yield curve, trade, Trump. I think the market volatility itself is sort of feeding on it. So where we're at right now as as of this recording, the U.S. market is down on the year. Um, international markets are down on the year. Commodities are down. Fixed income is down. Cash is up. It's the only thing that's up. Fixed income, though, is making a run, though. Fixed income, the bond market itself now is actually has a better year-to-date return than the stock market. But sentiment at this level would suggest, all else being equal, that we should actually still have, hopefully, a decent finish in the last few weeks of the year and going into next year. Sentiment is very negative for stocks and bonds and for commodities, which all suggest that they could do pretty well. Actually, one commodity where sentiment's pretty bullish is gold. That would suggest the reverse, that you might see below average returns moving forward. Probably only silver lining, and it's pretty hard to say it's a silver lining because CLS portfolios are also still down, is that CLS portfolios, because we are diversified, um, and we've, and in terms of relative terms, we've picked up substantial outperformance versus our benchmarks, versus our peers, and versus the S&P since the beginning of the quarter, really since the, uh, the middle of September. So performance actually in that respect is the market's down, we're down just a lot less, which is actually slightly reassuring, but nonetheless, we're still down. All right. Well, as you said, we do have our guest, um, Senior Portfolio Manager and Chief Investment Strategist, Mark Pfeffer. Let's bring him in now. Mark, calling in from New York. Welcome to CLS is the Weighing Machine. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me, Robin. So there is a lot to talk about. Um, there's been a lot of volatility, but I want to start with something that was pretty significant that happened this month, um, which is that the yield curve inverted. So it, sign, it sounds kind of obscure, but it's this is an important indicator. What does it mean? Um, the yield when it, when a yield curve inverts, it means that parts of the the front end of the maturity range is higher yielding than long-term securities. And the reason that's important is in the past, it has been what has been a precursor in the past to uh, a recession. Uh, It doesn't have to mean that, but generally speaking, that's what has happened in the past. It doesn't mean that's what's going to happen in the future. So there is some angst right now. And generally speaking, when we look at that, it's between the two-year and the real long end. And that's not what we had here. And what we have even currently right now is is a slight inversion. When I say a slight inversion, I mean two basis points right now between the two-year and the three-year and the five-year treasury. So right now, a two-year treasury is yielding about 267, and a five-year is yielding 265. So it's minor. And generally speaking, because I think right now the economy is coming off such a high, I think right now the market is really treating it that the, the Federal Reserve has raised rates too much. And while it won't necessarily mean it's a recession, it means that in the future they may likely have to take back some of these rate hikes because they're going to slow the economy down too much from such a high level to one that's significantly less, but one that I believe will likely still be positive. All right. Well, any time that we start talking about signs of a recession, that's going to get people pretty scared. So should investors be concerned about this? How likely is it? Well, we, we try to tell investors to stay balanced and, and have a long-term focus, but it, it's very hard, especially with the sensationalized media every day letting people know about what the impact is in the past about a recession. And we've obviously seen the stock market, as Rusty just alluded to, have a significant correction over the last three months. So it is something to be, if you want to call it, watchful of and mindful of, but I wouldn't say people should be too concerned at this juncture. Uh, I do think that the economy is going to slow down. And the Federal Reserve, in my opinion, probably didn't need to raise rates this week. Uh, I, I'll look at it. Maybe it's an insurance policy. But right now, they don't seem to be that concerned because the economic data, at least in the U.S., has still been overall positive And it's been decent. And one uh, side note is that interest rates on the long end have fallen about 40 basis points from its peak about three months ago, and that actually could um, have housing, which has been a drag on the economy for the last six or nine months or so, could potentially rebound from that. So, and as you mentioned, too, this did send a message to the Federal Reserve. Was there anything else that came out of the meeting that was a sign of how they're responding? I actually thought that the Federal Reserve announcement was as it should have been expected. I think, unfortunately, the market was expecting more. They did um, reduce the amount of rate hikes that they're looking for in the future, and they did even uh, lower their long-term t- 
terminal uh, yield that they're going to reach on the Fed funds rate. However, the market, though, had, was, was hoping, I think, for something a lot more than that, and they were just disappointed that they didn't get it. But I think that was too far reaching from the market and investors to think that. Just like the way we saw yesterday, the stock market in the morning was up about 400 points and it ended down 400 points, points because the market was disappointed. But overall, I think they did what was likely to be expected yesterday. Okay. Um, so something else that I want to talk about is um, there's been some movement in the high-yield bond market. Uh, Jackson Lee wrote a contribution section about this in your weekly three from a couple of weeks back. Or no, from this week, sorry. He said high-yield has been a star performer in fixed income until the October correction. And investor concern about corporate debt is a factor here. So is this another indication of negative sentiment? Uh, yes. Uh, there's, historically, there's been a very high correlation between the high-yield market and the equity market as, a, as an outlook on, on the economy. And right now, I would say that there's been, generally speaking, a downgrade to the economic forecast going forward. I personally don't think it's recessionary at this point, but certainly a downgrade. And investors are going to want to get compensated more for the perceived increased risk that they're taking by buying lower rated credits because that perceived risk of default may have gone up somewhat. So investors want to be compensated a little bit more. So what they say credit spreads would have widened out. And in addition to that, we've had treasury yields at the same time fall while spreads have gone higher. So it's been a combination of the two things that make it look, quite frankly, a lot worse right now than it probably is. Okay. Um, well, let's move on a little bit here. So, Rusty, it's obviously really easy yeah. to get emotional as investors um, when we hear news like we did about the yield curve and all of this volatility that we've seen. Yep. Um, and as Joe Smith, who is the Deputy Chief Investment Officer here at CLS, wrote in his Weekly 3, which was a couple of weeks back, um, when we get emotional, we often feel the need to take some action to address those emotions. And that's probably the worst thing we can do as investors, right? Yeah, it is. Well, Joe Smith, again... Um, I thought he wrote a great weekly three. Again, Joe, with all his fancy degrees and his fancy resume and all his technical skills, he's very passionate about what we do here and what he writes about. And he really got into kind of one of the key things we're doing here at CLS, and that's addressing the emotions of investors. Media investors want to sell low and buy high. That's completely the opposite of the way they should do it. Obviously, it's completely the opposite of the way they go buy groceries or a car or anything. And really, investors just need to stay focused on their goals and their timelines. And advisors, they need to be discussing the risk budget scores with their clients and not to change the scores just because of recent news, but to remind them you know, why they're there and how they work. Uh, good advice that Joe talked about again is don't check account balances all the time. I mean, we do here, of course. I mean, we look at the markets constantly, but we want our advisors and the investors not to look at it because that just creates emotional reactions. And remember that most of our investment time horizons are really quite long. So the key is really being patient and just staying invested. Okay. And times like these are also times to think about how important it is to stay diversified in our investments, as that can, of course, shield us from some of this volatility. And particularly staying global as a diversification approach. Um, Joe wrote that emerging market stocks and some international areas are proving to be some of the best places to be to get some of that diversification benefit. So are are we being rewarded for being global? 
Well, I would say yes. I mean, reward is a strong word if you're losing less. It doesn't sound like much of a reward. But again, I feel, well, first of all, answer the question about global and diversification. It's been really hard in recent years. I mean, we've been preaching the values of being global. Uh, I think from a very uh, intuitive standpoint and from a very academic standpoint and from a historical standpoint, you can see when you invest not just in the U.S. but internationally that over time you should get better results. I mean, it, it hits it hits all those buttons. What it hasn't, of course, is in recent years where the U.S. has clearly outperformed. And so it's been so we've been preaching about why and it's important to be global. And in fact, being global recently has helped. Also being diversified, that means just not being in stocks, but that does mean being in other asset classes, the, the importance of fixed income, the importance of cash, the importance of alternatives, the importance of commodities. And again, those have all helped in the recent volatility as well. So um, I think the quarter day performance for our, every major asset class shows that EM and developed Asian stocks have, in fact, provided great diversification benefits. And of course, CLS is still overweight emerging markets, um, not only for the diversification benefits, but because of the substantially above average expected returns. And I think the advantages of being global shine when they're really needed most. And, you know, actually, I, before we lose Mark here, because I know he's got to leave in a few moments, I actually have a question for him. And, of course, it's always the questions he should anticipate because not only is he a senior market strategist, but he could also be a sports talk radio host. <laughs> but So, Mark, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost postseason for the NFL. Who are your favorites? Who's going to go to the Super Bowl? Uh, in, the, in the NFC right now, I'm going to pick the Saints. And in the AFC, I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if you've seen this morning, Josh Gordon is now no longer on the uh, the New England Patriots, and I think they've been struggling all year. Brady has, for the first time, in my opinion, looked like he has slowed down a step, and I don't see any other team right now. And I think that the NFL has gone towards an offensive juggernaut way of doing things, and right now I think that Kansas City looks like the best team in the AFC. So I'm going to go with the Saints in the NFC and the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. There we go. All, all right. right. I think the Chiefs call makes a lot of people happy, including some people in the booth right now. So, <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> all right. Well, um, great. Yeah. Great well, thanks, to Mark. Have you on the show, Mark. Thanks for coming. All right. So, thank you for having me, and I will sign off. Thank you. All right. Okay, that's going to do it. Well, it's going to bring us to our final portion of this podcast, which is our interview section. And this week, you had two interviews. One with Dean Cook, the CEO of FTJ Fund Choice, and another with Julie Lane, who's the head of HR here at North Star, our parent company. Rusty, why don't you set us up? Two rock-solid interviews here. I mean, Julie Lane is head of HR. She's been here for a few years right now, and she is an experienced human resources veteran and tons of energy and a really cool perspective. And I think I think a lot of people will find it really interesting. And then, of course, we have Dean Cook, Chief Executive Officer of FTJ, uh, FTJ Fund Choice. And again, uh, North Star, who is the parent company of CLS Investments, bought FTJ Fund Choice. And there is sort of a kind of a merger of some aspects of CLS Investments into FTJ Fund Choice. And I think it's a win-win-win for all parties concerned. It's, concern, it's a win for CLS. It's a win for FTJ Fund Choice. But more importantly, it should be a win for advisors and investors. So I think they're good interviews. Cool. Let's take a listen. Well, many of our listeners are familiar by now with the news we've shared regarding some changes we're making to company structure. Today, we have FTJ Fund Choices Chief Executive Officer Dean Cook to break down some of those changes and what the future looks like for CLS investments. We will also be discussing how the changes will allow advisors to offer clients more investment options via a single open platform. 
Okay, so Dean, let's start at the very beginning. Back in April, our parent company, Northstar Financial, announced plans to acquire FTJ Fund Choice. Can you explain a little bit about why that made sense and the reasoning behind that decision for both companies? Sure, Rusty. When the Northstar board evaluated the future of the subsidiaries against the rapidly changing landscape of investment management, the primary piece missing in order to provide a truly comprehensive experience for advisors was a strong turnkey asset management platform, or TAMP component. And as one of Orion's biggest TAMP clients, FTJ FundChoice made the most sense. From FTJ's standpoint, the investment management that CLS brought to the table, the ability to customize investment management for our TAMP clients, and Orion's ability to offer the technology uh, that FTJ did not have, it became a no-brainer for our continued growth and opportunity for our clients. Basically, it was just a smart and logical decision on both sides. Yeah, that makes sense. What does it mean for financial advisors? Well, when we looked at the structure of CLS, we really found that it made the most sense to bring together the TAMP side, or really the back office operational side of CLS, into FTJ FundChoice. So with FTJ FundChoice, assuming those operational aspects of the TAMP, CLS is going to be able to focus, deepen their focus on investment strategies that they provide to the advisors. So aligning our organization in this way will provide advisors access to FTJ's open architecture, third-party money management platform. This gives the advisors to diversify client assets at the investment management level on a single platform. So in turn, they could use CLS strategies in conjunction with other third-party money managers just on a single platform. We recognize that many of our advisors have entered a new sales relationship as a result of these changes. Our sales teams will be coordinating very closely over the next few months to ensure a smooth and seamless transition. And in short, no action is required by either the CLS or FTJ advisors in connection with the news. Our advisors can continue to do business as a custom with both CLS and FTJ fund choice. Bottom line is that we're incredibly excited to leverage the best technology and operational best practices from both FTJ and CLS into our newly consolidated TAMP, and we'll continue to communicate those benefits over the course of the next year. Okay, got it. What are FTJ and CLS investments doing internally to make this a smooth transition for everyone? So the changes that we're making require some sales and management restructuring. For starters, we're strengthening the service and sales teams to offer best-in-class service to advisors. Additionally, Ryan Beach, who was CLS's CEO, is transitioning to president of the combined structure under FTJ FundChoice, which is a great move for him. I'm going to serve as CEO for the combined entity, and as you know, Rusty, you're going to be the chief investment officer and president for CLS. Congratulations. So, Rusty, let me turn this on you. What are you looking forward to under this new structure and, this, and in this new leadership role for CLS? First of all, I am really excited. And to be honest, one thing I'm excited about is that a lot won't actually change at CLS Investments. We're still going to do what we're known for. We're still going to build and manage our risk-budgeted portfolios. We're still going to be known for our client service, our access to the portfolio management team, our product development, including our rock-solid tactical strategies, our income strategies, and what we're doing with high net worth portfolios, particularly with tax management, customization, and even ESG investing. I think we're still going to do a whiz-bang job at communications with additional resources there, just making our commentary, our podcasts and videos even better. You just really add up. We have a great team here at CLS, and we're excited for the future. Yeah, that's, that's, 
That's spot on, Rusty. You know, this overall decision, you know, just makes sense for the entire North Star organization, but more importantly, investment advisors. It's going to provide so much variety in the investment management space, but also enhance the technology and service available to these advisors. Definitely, Dean. And thanks for being on today. As we move through this, I would love to have you join us for updates as these enhancements occur and are being implemented. It's been my pleasure, and and that'd be great, Rusty. Okay, well, thanks again, Dean. And now we're going to move to our interview with Vice President and Head of Human Resources at North Star Financial, Julie Lane. Welcome, Julie. Welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you're here, too. We have all kinds of good questions here. Great. Let's start off with some easy ones, though. Okay. Well, first of all, tell us about your background and how you got here to North Star. Oh, sure, sure. So I'm actually a native of Omaha. So this is my hometown. Uh, I've been here my whole life. I think the vast majority of my time uh, I've been spending traveling for my career. So even though Omaha's my hometown, I spent tons of time on both coasts and even a little bit of time in Canada back when I worked for a packaging company. But um, I'm probably best described as just a typical Midwesterner, right? I'm confident but humble. I get my hands dirty, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't mind sweating the details. So. You can totally tell you're a Midwesterner, but you know, you also kind of do have that coast vibe a little bit, that professionalism. I can see it too. Fantastic. Absolutely. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> so what do you, so tell us more about the background. So how did you get here to North Star and what do you do for North Star? Yeah, sure. So, you know, you know, I guess my org chart title is Vice President of Human Resources. And, you know, my main responsibility is to lead both the HR and the engagement team. We have a team called the engagement team that's focused on the employee experience. Yeah. Uh, how did I get here? So, uh, you know, I, I said that I'm, I'm an Omaha native. Uh, you know, my undergraduate degree uh, was from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. So I'm a, I'm a proud UNO grad, and my, and my master's uh, was done here at Bellevue University. And, you know, I've been in what my profession is, human resources, for 25 years. And I've been in a, a variety of different industries. I started out in retail packaging. I did that for about 16 years, and or in retail supermarket industry, actually. Yeah. I went to packaging, uh, a little bit in technology, about five years in technology. And uh, coming here to North Star for me is exciting because it's my first time in financial services. And I think f- when I think about the type of industries that are growing yeah. and the ones that really have impact on people, that's what I'm excited about. And I, I got to tell you, I've been here almost two years now, it'll be two years in February. And yeah. uh, when I was looking to depart uh, the technology company I was at, this was the most exciting thing I had going at the time. Yeah. So that's kind of how I made my way here anyway. Cool. All right. So you are an experienced human resources veteran. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about your philosophy of human resources? Sure. Oh, a veteran. I do kind of like that term. Well, it's about the wisdom. It's it about is the, about the, the wisdom. No, I like Absolutely, it. Yeah. I own that. I own <laughs> that term. I have no problem with that term at all. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you my philosophy about human resources actually is, it's actually somewhat shaped in the time I spent uh, in my first part of my career, first part of my career, I spent eight years in operations. And in an operational role, I was resp- I probably maybe the most, I maybe had about 25 people that reported to me. And I was in a management team role that, at the end of that time frame. And I was finishing up school and I was getting this bachelor's degree. I specialized in human resources. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't always have the best experience and, and clearly Maybe anybody listening would say, yeah, gosh, sometimes human resources professionals aren't always as welcoming and helpful. It shaped my philosophy around human resources because when I got ready to graduate, 
I almost didn't go into human resources. Yeah. I wanted to stay in operations. And a little part of it was because of some of my experiences. Yeah. And a mentor of mine at the time, who pretty senior person, you know, he said, Julie, there's this great opportunity at corporate, quote unquote, back in the day, back in corporate, because you can start your HR career. And I said, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if that's what I want to be. And I will tell you, um, the his advice to me was fantastic. He said, listen, you can stay in operations and you'll be successful. He goes, but I'm going to tell you something. He goes, you will do me and everyone else so much more good. And you'll have impact on a lot more people if you go there. And I will never forget this. Mm -hmm. He told me, you will change the way people think about human resources professionals. And I will tell you, I have honestly for the last 25 years been on a mission. And I mean that sincerely because it's in the front of my brain when I think about the kind of decisions we make. And all of my teams, what I focus on is telling them, you know what, we're here to we're here to support the business. Yeah, we're not. You know, yeah, we do some of the standard things we do, but my philosophy is about finding a way to say yes, and in particular, finding a way to support businesses. So I, I think back at the decision and the way he was so certain. It was his. It was his support and his in his 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 own um, conviction. About yeah. it, but I still think back to that times where I almost just said, oh, "I don't want to do that. I don't want to stay in operations. I knew it. Yeah. I mean, do it." And he said, "No, you'll have a bigger impact." Do you know? You think about. It, I think a lot of people think HR is about. Um, it's the gatekeeper, the filter. It's about paperwork, but it's it is obviously so much bigger than that. It's. I mean, first of all, it's about talent acquisition, and mm-hmm. you got to get the right people on the bus, sort of thing. But it's also about. Yeah supporting the the culture in all the leaders and and the culture initiatives that they have. You did mention a term which I actually did not know and I'm going to actually dig a little bit deeper in that mm-hmm. the engagement team would you call it the client engagement sure. team? Sure. Yeah, our engagement team. Yeah. Yeah, so our engagement team is 100% focused on two things. One of it is on leadership development. So engaging our employees, making sure that they have the best experience possible. And number two, they focus on onboarding. And one of the things that I think we do that differentiates ourselves is that we have a two-week full onboarding process for every new hire. And what we focus on is making sure every new hire understands our mission, they understand our client, they understand our client's business, because to us, that's who we are. You know, we are an extension as much as our clients and our vendors are an extension of us, we're an extension of that, and I think it's really important. So that engagement team is yeah. focused on engaging our team members different than things like, gosh, let's explain your benefits to you, or you know, let's, you know, let's answer some questions for you you may have on a policy. You know, I have a, that's my typical quote unquote HR team, but this engagement team is focused on people coming here every day and being excited. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that related to the MPS scores in client, you know, employee satisfaction scores? Absolutely it is. Yeah, which we score really high on, right? We do. Yeah. We absolutely do. I will tell you, we measure every single quarter. We use the exact same measurement that all external organizations do for client NPS. We call it ENPS. It's something actually that, you know, other companies do as well. But we measure specifically what our employees are thinking, and we want to know. We want them to be honest with us because it's how we get better. But we truly believe that our employee experience is a direct correlation or has a direct correlation to our client's experience. Yeah, I, I agree. 
And we get really great scores, so it's something we can brag about. Yeah. You're darn right. You're darn right. Absolutely. Hey, let's uh, dive a little deeper into talent acquisition here. So in general, what qualities are we looking for in people who want to join Northstar? Now, obviously at Northstar, we have different we have different companies. We obviously mm-hmm. have investment management with CLS Investments. We have one of the leading fintech firms in the entire industry with Orion. Yep. Um, what do we look for in people? I would tell you a couple things. So it it will be a bit of a cliche to say we look for culture fit, but I'll tell you what we look for in culture fit. One of the things we strive really hard for is people who are innovative, whether that's in investment management or our fintech companies. We need folks who are constantly pushing. How are we going to disrupt? How are we going to do things differently? How are we going to be ahead of what our clients' needs are, be in, in front of that? And I think trying to find people who embrace change. So it happens in so many industries where you talk about, you know, change and you have to be ready for it. But the fact of the matter is that is just common course for us. Like every day there's something coming up, there's something different we're going to do. And I think what we do is we try to ask a ton of open-ended questions, of scenario-type questions in in the interviewing process, and then during this Uh, onboarding session, where we try to really tell people, like, listen, at the end of two weeks, you need to understand where we're going to be in our clients. But in particular, know that it's going to change. And you have to be okay with that. And we would much rather have somebody self-select out during an interview, like, you know what, I kind of like things the way they are. Or when somebody says, like, an example would be, if somebody asks a question like, well, how often do you, what do you mean by change? Or anything that really starts putting our red flag up when people are like, well, does change mean this? Or it tells me they're going to struggle with change, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of people do, but we're really looking for people who are innovators and who yeah. want to do stuff differently. You know, it's a good point. Like, obviously, I hire a lot of people myself in my little group. And one of the qualities I look for is obviously curiosity and the ability to deal with change, but it's almost an entrepreneurial sort of mindset. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that people who really want a very clear description of what they do and they want that really nice little tidy box of what they're going to do, that's just not what we offer here. And I think it's so much more exciting to be able to be outside that box and they'll really like kind of just flow with your interests and your strengths, which we try to allow as much as possible. Yeah. So what advice do you have for people who want to enter our industry, whether it's investment management or fintech? What advice do you have for people? I say stay ahead of the industry and be really well read. I will tell you the things that we enjoy, especially at mid and senior level positions when we hire them. Folks that come to us and talk about, hey, here's what I've been reading that's going on or that, you know, in another year or so we need to be here. Yeah. I love what you said about entrepreneurship. I think that's a big part of that advice for folks that want to get into this industry is that, listen, we are in the forefront. You know, every every single day, if you think about it, what what do most people think about when they think about their 401k or their investments? They talk about the stock market. They talk about what's going on like mm-hmm. daily. Is it up? Is it down? And what does it mean? Right. Yeah. So I think somebody that wants to get into our industry, you need to be in front of that and you need to understand where it's going to be, not where it's been. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it, right? Is being somebody who's innovative, but somebody I love your I love your 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 statement. It's entrepreneurship because you know, you can have a big job description, two pages long and every, you know, every little thing that I could possibly come up with, but you're right when somebody asks me for something really tight in a box, 
it does kind of set up a bit of a flag to me that, yeah. gosh, you're going to struggle when we do need to change things because we just have to just to stay ahead of what our clients need. Right. Well, and on being entrepreneurial, and as you said, being innovative, if you think about it, again, our major divisions, Orion, FTJ Fund Choice, CLS Investments, we're all known for being innovative in our spaces or in our industries. We've all won awards. We're all we're growing and financially strong mm-hmm. because of those very aspects. Yeah. All right. Let's still talking about talent acquisition here. Yes. So we're in Omaha. So North Star has been one of the fastest growing companies in Omaha mm-hmm. for years now. Yes. And I know from my perspective, sometimes when I need somebody, it takes a little longer because it's kind of hard in Omaha. What do you think? Is it hard to hire in Omaha? It's getting tight. Yeah. It's getting tight. You know, I think all the stuff that you do read um, in either local or even some of the Midwest um, uh, press, it, we're, we're getting really close to full employment. Yeah. And in particular, what we're doing is what everyone else is doing. You're stealing great talent from current jobs. Right. So is it getting tight? It is. I'm still proud to say, though, that we are finding a lot of great talent and we're being innovative. We're also being really thoughtful about maybe bringing some folks that haven't had maybe lots of years, veteran, you know, a veteran yeah. uh, into the industry that we're spending some time to invest in them to get them up to speed, yeah. to get the time that they need to be able to be prepared for what we're going to need. But yeah. I, I would say it is honestly getting a little tighter. And in particular in Omaha, um, we're very proud that we have the kind of brand recognition that we do and the kind of reputation that we do for the type of culture we provide. Yeah. Uh, and the biggest challenge with finding talent is when you do, you need to make sure that you've had the right kind of culture and the right kind of leadership yeah. to retain it. Right. right. That's right. easy to say, harder to do. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking my last two hires were actually both from Chicago. One was a native from Los Angeles, another native from Massachusetts. So, uh-huh. again, it's we do have to sort of reach out and bring that talent in. Yep. All right, here's another area. So, uh, again, talking about invest the investment industry and talking about financial technology, there is sort of that perception that uh, there's not a lot of women in these industries. And so how are how difficult is it to hire women for these industries? And I guess any words of wisdom for women who want to enter these fields? You know what? I would say, is it difficult to hire women? No. We are doing a good job with it. It's yes and no. So to be fair, it's yes and no. I'm very proud that we've had, I'll use your team as a perfect example. You have had some fantastic, you currently do, uh, women in your portfolio management team. But but let's be honest, it's uh, in the past anyway, has been a little bit male dominated. So to find experienced folks, especially in the Midwest, has been a little more difficult because I think a lot of the really talented women to some extent are still in the the, uh, financial districts on the East Coast, a little bit on the West Coast as well. Um, but we've been we've been struggling to make sure that our messaging is about finding the right kind of quality candidates and getting our messaging out to those kind of groups and the kind of groups that they are accessing. I think if you look at our own leadership team of the seven executive leadership team members, three or almost 50 percent are women. Yeah. And they're talented women. Yeah. And they bring a lot of veteran experience, um, industry experience. But it takes time and effort to put that into that. So is it yes and no? Uh, in general, our over, 
all of the, about a thousand employees. We have just over a thousand employees today. Yeah. Um, over forty percent of those are women. Wow. Yeah. And quite a few of them are in senior level positions and management yeah. positions and in professional roles. Yeah. Like portfolio management. Yeah. You know, if um, you know, young women in college looking for a field to go into. I mean, in my field, investment management. Gosh, they should really look strongly at it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. Um, the opportunities are there. People are hiring. Uh, quite frankly, the skills that are really needed in investment management are, I think a lot of people think there are different skills than what you really need. It's like it's like high-level math type stuff, and it's not. It's about relationships. It's about counseling. It's about understanding emotions. And I uh, just think the opportunity set is is so, is so huge. And not only that, the amount of money that is currently being managed within our own economy is increasingly being held by women. It's going to be mostly held by women in the years ahead. So anyway, humongous opportunity. Absolutely. I think so. Well, Julie, any, any closing words? You know, I, first of all, thanks yeah. um, for this time. I absolutely love having these kind of conversations. I I do think um, it's just exciting. It's an exciting time to be in our industry, in our space in particular. You know, our, our fintech side is just growing rapidly, and the amount of innovation we do there yeah. in our investment management and our TAMP is significant. And I think being part of that industry is going to continue to grow. And I think the, we're a good reflection of the diversity that's out there. But I love your comment. Like, listen, if you start, if you really do stop and look at where some of the financial management is going to be and the actual management of some of the money in our in our economy, it is going to be more diverse. And so yeah. we need to be a reflection of that. Absolutely. Right on. Well, thanks again, Julie, for coming on. Thanks. I and, appreciate it. Yeah. And happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yeah. Thanks. All right, great stuff. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final thoughts. Two things. Stay balanced and happy holidays. There you go. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to CLS is the Weighing Machine, and thank you for your time and trust in CLS Investments. CLS is the Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Officer at CLS Investments, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have questions or feedback about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty.com. Vanneman at clsinvest.com.